we live in a world of competing messages, competing narratives about life, about life's origin, about life's purpose and life's end. The question of where, where to find a fulfilling, a meaningful life plagues humanity, young and old. Where do we find life? And so many have no hope, have no answers. Well, today, my intention is to relate to you the same message the Apostle Paul proclaimed in pagan Corinth. And wherever he went across the Roman Empire, a world that is not so different from today. Well, that message that Paul proclaimed then speaks as clearly today as when it was first preached. You see, the message of the gospel has not changed. So if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at the first eight verses this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, and we'll go a verse or two at a time. So I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So we see here that Paul is writing to remind the church in Corinth about something he's already proclaimed to them, good, glad tidings good news that they received and that he said it is in this that they stand. This is what keeps them standing in a world hostile to the message of the gospel. Now, if we, if we look down briefly at verse 11, the Apostle writes, Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So we preach, and so you believed. And the point that we see here that Paul wants to make to the church there was that this was a message preached not only by Paul. It wasn't his message. It didn't belong to him alone. This was also preached by all the apostles. And again, we learn there in verse 11 that this message was believed by the church. Whether it was Peter speaking to them or Paul or one of the other Apostles. This was 
a message that was believed by the people of God. So we could summarize verses 1 and 11 as uh, the gospel preached by the apostles and received by the people of God. That gospel has not changed throughout all the ages. Paul adds in verse 3 about this, this message. He says that even he received this message. For I delivered to you what I also received, he says. Here, he is making the point that this message did not originate with him. This didn't originate with Paul. The gospel came from God. So we have this message from God preached by the apostles and received by the people of God. And this is the message that verse 2 says, by which you are being saved or by which you are saved. What is the Spirit of God saying here through the Apostle Paul? The Spirit of God is saying to us that this is a saving message. Christian, this is what saves you and nothing else. For Paul says, it is by this you are being saved. Saved, And so here we see there is a working out in the verb tense uh, being. There's a working out of this salvation in our lives. Salvation means simply deliverance. Rescue from something. Well, this is a radical message to proclaim. Salvation. But to many, this is foolishness. What do we need saving from? They say. The message of salvation from sin. From the power of death. And from hell. Place where God's wrath is poured out. This message that the Bible proclaims is not popular. Salvation isn't described in nebulous terms. Like, what is this salvation? It's very clearly presented as salvation from our own sin and from the just punishment of God. The spiritual person of today calls this antiquated and harsh. Because it implies there's something wrong in the heart of man. Something desperately wicked. It implies we've offended a holy God by our rebellious ways to talk of salvation. Yet this is the message of the gospel. Salvation for sinful humanity. Unless we think to ourselves, well, that's nice. 
but I really don't need that. Consider the words of the Apostle James. He wrote uh, to a church that was, and, and believers who were often showing partiality. The rich man gets the better seat, then maybe he'll be nice to me. The poor man, well, too bad for him. And he basically tells them in James chapter 2, that's sin. He says in verse 9 of James chapter 2, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So you've broken a law, the law of God, and deserve punishment. This is one example that Paul gives of sin, the sin that we that dwells in us and that we commit. He goes on to say in James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. You see, it doesn't matter how good of a person we are. If we've broken one law, even a, a human law in Canada, you are guilty. And you can be charged with whatever the punishment is that fits the crime. So it is with God, for he is just, he's fair. And so you might say, well, I haven't committed murder. I haven't committed adultery. But Jesus would say, do you not know that one lustful thought, that, that is the same thing as adultery. It comes from the same root, a sinful desire in our hearts. And so it is with murder, that anger is at the very root of that. Frustrated because I did not get my way. And so we could go on. If I could convince you of two things, and I know I don't have the power in me to do this, but I would convince you that you are indeed a great sinner. And that there is a great Savior. If you would but turn from your sins to Christ. Folks, deep down, you know your need. You know your failures. Your imperfections. The ways that you have not acted towards even your own family. In a way that you should. Before God, the very secrets of our souls. My own and yours are laid bare. Yet there is a saving message for you, a sinner. And that is what Paul wants to remind the believers of in verse 2. There is a message by which you are being saved. Paul continues in verse 2. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless 
you believed in vain. Now those are hard words. If we thought talk of salvation was offensive. He says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul speaks of the kind of faith that believes in vain and the kind of faith that holds on to the good news preached by the apostles. You see, there's a kind of faith that affirms something, but does not actually trust or rely on the object of one's faith. In effect, it's no more than words. In effect, such a faith is useless. It does nothing. It is meaningless if it is not held on to. Let me illustrate this for you. Suppose you were drowning and I came by in a boat and I said, I can save you. I can help you. If you truly believe me, you reach out your hand and you hold on. You have no other hope. Now, if you said you believed in me, but you didn't reach out your hand, what is that communicating? That's not communicating faith at all. I suppose that you, uh, you did reach out, but only for a moment. That sort of faith also would be useless. It would be no help for a drowning man. So the, the gospel message is of no help to the sinner if he does not hold on to it and cling to it. Like his life depends upon it. That's what Paul is saying that we must do with the gospel. We must hold on. Now, there is good news in the gospel in that Christ holds on to us, his own. And yet at the same time, he calls his people to hold on. So that we're not absolved of the responsibility to rely on him at any moment in our lives. And it's only by the grace of God that we do cling to Christ. Paul continues in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. We'll pause there. We already saw that this was a message Paul received. It wasn't from him. But here I want to make or reinforce 
a point that Paul has been making. He's already been making the case that this is a message with vital significance. You need to hold on to this. This is the saving gospel. But he can't seem to say it enough. So what does he say right before he launches into an explanation of the gospel? He says it is of first importance. And folks, I couldn't say that enough to you either. This is the most important message that you could ever hear. That's what it means to be of first importance. It means that it's the kind of message that you hang your life upon. It's the kind of message that you don't say you believe and then set it aside. It's the kind of message that shapes your life, that gives life. This message is summarized in verses 3 and 4. I want to read that with you. This message that is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for that good news. The Apostle speaks of three events that form the core of the good news preached by the apostles. Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised. The gospel is this, that these things actually happened. It's that simple. The basis of the Christian faith is not a matter of platitudes or fairy tales but that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection are real historical events with real and tangible meaning. So it's not just they happened, but they have meaning in the perfect plan of God. As God pours out His kindness through the work of Jesus Christ, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, and only through Him, we have life, eternal life with God. So let's unpack these three events briefly. First, we are told that Christ died and not only that he died, but his death had divine significance. Christ died for our sins. It was not a purposeless, meaningless, hopeless death. Jesus did not fail in his purpose for coming to this earth. He came for this very purpose. He bled and died on a Roman cross. The just 
for the unjust. Peter told us in 1 Peter 3, verse 18. He died, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. In order to bring those who are unjust and unworthy of entering the presence of the Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Christ bore sin's punishment so that you and I, through faith in Christ, might become the righteousness of God, Paul said in his second letter to the church in Corinth. 2 uh, Corinthians 5.21 So that when we approach God, we approach Him not with any righteousness of our own, but with the righteousness of Christ as a gift bestowed upon those who believe in Christ. This is the significance of Christ's death. That He died for our sins. So that whoever believes in Him would be forgiven and have the righteousness of Christ and fellowship with God. Now, the apostle gives a proof here. He writes, Christ died in accordance with the scriptures. He does this to highlight that this was the plan of God revealed beforehand. So that we would see more fully and more clearly this goodness and this grace of God. So Isaiah declares in Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the discipline, the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did you catch the words that the prophet Isaiah used? For our transgressions. That is for our breaking of his law. The law of God. And for our iniquities or our sins, he was pierced. He was crushed. And the Lord laid on him the sin of us all. The gospel message has not changed since the day, the days of Isaiah, who foretold this 
And since the days of the apostles who witnessed Christ's death upon that cross, and who recognized the significance of the prophetic word and its fulfillment, the gospel message is this that you and I have sinned against a holy God and deserve condemnation, but that He, the holy Creator of the universe, entered His creation. Jesus Christ, the God-man, came to live and die for your sins, for the sins of all who believe in Him, and receive the gift of eternal life laying down their lives to follow Him. This good news is the only hope for lost and sinful humanity. Nothing other than Christ's sacrificial death can forgive sins and restore fellowship with the Lord God. It is Him alone. The gospel message is that Christ died for our sins. And Paul continues in verse 4 that He was buried. This is one of those statements that we read and skip over. And, and there's much that could be said. But I just want to observe what, a simple fact. This little sentence, this little phrase, and he was buried, reminds us that Jesus was indeed dead. He was placed in a real tomb. This is a real happening. You can read about that. The very last verses of Mark chapter 15 and the other Gospels. Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body, prepared it for burial, placed it in a tomb. And this too was just as God had foretold. The prophet Isaiah not only prophesied that Christ died for our sins, he goes on in Isaiah 53, verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. The very thing that happened when Joseph of Arimathea took his body and buried it in his tomb. This too actually happened. And if the message ended here, it would be an awfully sad message. Almost a cruel joke. Here's a Savior for your sins, and now He's dead. But it is here that we come to the remarkable news we celebrate today at Easter time, that Christ was raised on the third day. It's put so succinctly, 
all of these statements. Christ died for our sins and he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. But this is the hope of all God's people. The hope of humanity. And this too was according to the scriptures. David wrote, For you will not abandon my soul to the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. Psalm 16, verse 10. And the Apostle Peter preached on this scripture in the first sermon recorded by the Apostles in Acts chapter 2, verses 29 to 32. Oh, how amazing it must have been for him to, to proclaim this It was so fresh and so new. And the Spirit of God had come upon the believers. And this is what the Apostle Peter said about David's psalm, Psalm 16. He said, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him with an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we all our witnesses. The message of Peter was simple. David died. You could see his tomb. His bones were still there. But Jesus, crucified by his own people, was raised up. He did not remain in the grave. His body did not see decay or corruption. But was raised up in glory. This word from God was fulfilled in Jesus, the promised deliverer. And so salvation then, eternal resurrected life with God himself, in the highest heaven is no pipe dream, but is based in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the gospel message. Christ died and rose again as a gift from God to be received by the empty hands of faith. You receive what He has done for you. To rely upon that alone. Not upon yourself. Not upon what accolades and what good deeds you can drum up in your own strength. But simply to lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. Some 
may laugh. Many do. They discard this message as too outrageous, too foolish to believe. But each one of us will have to reckon with the claims of this message from God. This is not a fairy tale. This is a trustworthy message about verifiable historical events. How can I say this was trustworthy? I say this for two reasons, and I'm sure we could add more. But for the sake of simplicity, first reason is this. The message is proven by its fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures, which we have seen are fulfilled in Christ. It's proven by its fulfillment of these prophetic scriptures that are fulfilled so clearly and so plainly in our Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, this message is verified by the many witnesses of the resurrected Jesus whom Paul could point to in verses 5-8. through And he... lists quite a number of witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. Let's read verses 5 through 8. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul is speaking as the last of a long list of eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus. It's quite a few people, isn't it? 500 at once don't make this sort of thing up and don't have a consistent testimony either. (coughs) Don't go to their deaths for a fairy tale. Paul is emphasizing that the gospel is a verified message that is based on actual events. If it was not, this would, if this was just a story, just a figment of some people's imagination, it would do nothing. It would be no good. But Jesus really was raised back to life. He is risen. If you're interested in the... the uh, historicity of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of resources out there. Many journalists, archaeologists, legal experts have looked at the evidence for the resurrection. 
and some even have been saved as a result of that. Think of Sir William Ramsey, an archaeologist, Lee Strobel, who wrote The Case for Christ. That's a little more accessible place to look if you have questions. And I understand having genuine questions. But even within the text of Scripture, with the amount of witnesses that are given to the risen Jesus, it's rather remarkable. There are a lot of events in history we have not near this amount of eyewitness testimony. This is about real events with real meaning. The gospel message is that God himself came down and entered creation to save his lost creatures. This good news preached by the apostles and received by the people of God. The gospel message of Christ dying for our sins and rising again. This is a message worth holding on to. Will you even today hang your life, your hopes, your dreams, all you are and have on the person and work of Christ Jesus? That He really lived and really died for your sins, was buried and was raised to life. He rose from His grave on the third day. That this was verified by many witnesses of the risen Jesus. If you would like to hear more about this message, I would love to talk with you afterwards, after the service. I'll just be over there in that corner. Love to visit with you, hear your questions. You know, if you refuse this message according to the gospel, you're without hope. This is the message that saves. The apostles put it this way in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, when they stood trial. For the Jewish leaders, there is no other name by which we can be saved. But if this is indeed your hope, I want to remind you, your hope being Christ crucified and risen, that you can say he is my Savior and my Lord and my life is his and my life is safe in his life then you have a living hope. You have a living Savior to hold on to every day of your life. Hold fast to Him and be glad for He will not let you go.
He is faithful. And He is good. This is the Gospel. Christ died for our sins and was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Let's make that the foundation of our lives every day. Amen.